0: So as is our tradition, you know, we uh, always read the Word of God. It stands on its own. Our passage this morning is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Um, If you don't have your Bibles with you, it's in the, uh, the Black Rack Bibles there on page 977. So again, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision,
1: and i mean you could be anywhere else this morning and probably many are waking up on a morning like this one and if dads get the choice there may have been a few other spots they could choose from around town just saying uh, but i mean the bigger the bigger why why are you here uh, any sunday morning any day uh, we already been singing about that that the very breath in our lungs is is from our god why are you here in this moment of history Why are you here on this earth? Questions that have been asked just a few times before. If you're a dad, happy Father's Day officially to you. It's true that you probably know on a day-to-day basis your what. You know what you're doing, but do you know your why? Knowing your why might change your what and certainly your how. And that's true for more than just dads, but for moms and sons and daughters, for students, for employees and employers, let me just broaden this for the non-dads. Have you ever been in a in a job that you didn't know your why? That's a hard place to be, isn't it? And sometimes, I know some of you have gotten into jobs and you weren't even sure what, what the what was. Eventually you were told the what, and so you start doing the what, but you're not sure about the why. Oh, you might know your boss's why of the work that you are doing, but you're not so sure that is your why. That is a hard place to be, and maybe you do need to get out. Now I'm making some some of your blood pressure raise for some of you, but others just need to understand their highest why of all. And I hope we can see that through Paul's reminder to us of what was read in Ephesians 2 verse 10. All of us, our highest why of all, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now maybe you're like me, I've I've heard a lot of sermons on this text about the what, the what sermons. What is the work that we are called to do? Uh, generally and then specifically, what is your work? How do we find those good works and walk in them? This sermon is not one of those. This sermon is about the why. The who. Who are we because of who God is and what He has done, therefore the why to the work. Before we ever consider the what, and we won't get there today. Uh, we need to know our why. We are God's workmanship. This word in the Greek is poema. We are God's poema, where we get the English word poem. Have you ever thought of Paul as maybe harsh, uh, maybe difficult to engage? with, and yet when we see him interact with the church, when we hear his writings, this Paul said, you are beloved, you are God's poem. That word in the Greek, it was common in Greek literature, it only shows up twice in all of the New Testament, both by Paul, we'll look at the other one in a moment, but in Greek literature, in Greek writing, it meant much more than literature, than a than a poetic verse. It was any artistic expression from a painting to a sculpture to an architectural design to a piece of music. All of that would be described as a poema. This is who you are. You are God's poema. An artist has a thought. Many of us have thoughts, and if you're not an artist, you can't express the, the thoughts, the pictures, into a form or a medium that can be received and appreciated by many. That's what artists do. They take a picture, a feel, an emotion, a thought, and they express it uniquely in a way that impresses or influences or moves other people. This is what God, our creative Father, has done for each one of us. He has thought us. He has perceived us. And then he has the ability to create, to craft, to express uniquely, as if never before, his poema. Psalm 139, verse 13, a pretty famous psalm. It says these well-known words, "'For you formed my inward parts. "'You knitted me together in my mother's womb. "'I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made.'" Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. All of God's creation is his poema, and where Paul uses this word one other time in the New Testament is Romans chapter one. In Romans one twenty, Paul says, For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the Poema. In the ESV, it says, in the things that have been made. Took five English words to capture that one word, poema. But if we could understand it, as we're, I think, beginning to understand it, all of God and who he is, the the creative artist, even his invisible attributes, well, we, we can know God through his poema, through his artistic expression. Above all, the pinnacle of that creation, if you go back to the garden, of all that has been made, all the beauty, and all, every day, God's saying, it is good, it is good, it is good, and the pinnacle were you and me, were God's people, man and woman. The women will remind us today, but it's Father's Day, of who was the ultimate pinnacle of that creation. The one time that God says, as he looks on to what he has created, it is very good, so we see in the garden, Genesis chapter 1:26, God said, let us make man and woman in our image. This is the imago Dei, Latin for the image of God, the imago Dei. God's people are the only, only part of His creation that are made, are said to be made in His image, though all reflects His glory and His majesty. People alone are made in His image. Let us make man in our image. Right there you see at the beginning the plurality of who our God is. Our Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit active in creation. Let man and woman, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Oh God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 31, And God saw everything that He had made and behold, it was very good. This is what Paul is now reminding us through the ephesians as he was writing to this church in ephesus you are god's poema you're created beautifully uniquely in the image of god with with purpose and for purpose this is your why know your why which will change your what and your how in a culture that values and celebrates Beauty and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a right thing to do to celebrate beauty. But when it comes to people, our culture has is defunct, and we uh, create this. We create beauty externally only, and it suppresses all of us to measure against external beauty, and ultimately never feel that we measure up, that we are beautiful. As if we would be an artistic expression because we, co- we have a concept that is only external. God's perspective, God's thought of who you are is spiritual, is soul, is who he's created you. And he says, you are my poema. You are you, the only unique expression. There is no one like you. I thought you and I brought you into being. These bodies we have are but tents, Paul says, that fade away. That is not who you are. There's a you inside of you. Our world does not see that. So know your why. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 is probably... I think, the best summary of Paul's entire letter, captured in that one verse. If we step back, and for those that are just joining us into this study, we've been walking through this letter of uh, Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. It really splits apart fairly well into halves. The first three chapters are indicatives, and the second three chapters are imperatives. The indicatives. What is indicative about who you are? Paul is reminding the church who they are. Here's what's indicative about you. Here's the truth about you because of who God is and what He's done. The second half, the imperatives. So then, live like this. Here's, here's your call. Now, we've got to get that order. correct. I mean, there are so many... T-shirt and coffee mug and life verses in the second half of Ephesians and, and the first half, but that second half we can look into that second half and see how to be better husbands, better wives, better prayers, better givers, better servants of the church. We can see our, where our our battle is against the uh, not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. We can take a whole lot out of context. And simply seek to apply it to be better. And that was never Paul's intention. It was to know your why. To know who you are. And therefore the call of how to live. How to walk. And that should flow from our why. The why is essentially here in the middle. And Paul captures it in verse 10 of chapter 2. You are God's poema." His artistic expression of beauty. Created to do good works which are prepared in advance for you. God is over all and through all and in all, Paul will say in chapter 4. He has prepared all things for us. This is who we are. So we live like it. We walk like it. And it's less about finding the specific what of our call. The what will find us as we live out our why. Just think for a moment of, of the young man, and maybe this will bring back memories for some in this room, the young teenage man, coming of age, 17, 18, 19, who for the first time has fallen in love. And though he doesn't know exactly what to do, he is he's going for it, because his why has just changed. So he is now cleaning his car and his room like never before, which perhaps has never been done before. <laughs> He is now bathing regularly and grooming himself and washing and maybe even ironing his clothes. He is using products in his hair and on his body. Way too much Axe body spray just effusing out of him because he knows his why now. Still trying to figure out the what, and he'll have help in this culture, hopefully through good friends. But he now knows his why. He was, he was meant to love and be loved. So his walk has drastically changed. When you know your why, as Michael Jr. showed us in that powerful way, when you know your why, your what changes dramatically. But we forget, don't we? We forget who we are Why was Paul writing this letter in the first place? To remind them, to remind the church who they are. In this very next verse, chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, remember, and then he'll say it again, remember. Why would he need to say that? Why would inscribed on this table this morning say, remember? Do this in remembrance, because we are prone to forget. We need those reminders of who we are, of our why. Remember, he says, And there's a few things that he's reminding them that he's already said just in this chapter alone. He says, remember, you were dead in your sins. Now Christ has made you alive. Remember that you were far from God, but now in Christ Jesus you have been brought near. Remember that you were outside looking in, but now in Christ you have been adopted into God's family. You were objects of his wrath, but now you have received mercy. Remember, you were aimless and purposeless, but now your life has purpose and meaning. You are God's poema. Live like it, walk like it. If we go back to the garden again, let's be reminded of what we were truly created for before it all went to hell and sin, and death. Many have called it the original design, God's original plan for and purpose for all of humanity. As Catherine likes to say, it's our imago day. It's recovering and restoring, well, not just the image that we reflect of God to know that specific unique expression and to live in it, but the ultimate creation of what was originally meant to be that has been shattered and broken. Can that be restored and be recovered? Here's a few things, four things. We were created in God's image both to know Him and to make Him known, to reflect Him. I've often heard to reflect Him like mirrors, like a billion mirrors reflecting the sun. And yet that's impersonal. A better analogy might be if you've never never met a man but you know his kids, you know something of the man. And when you meet him, you see it. There's a reflection that's much more personal and intimate and uh, through, through DNA and more. We were created to dwell with God. So we're created in his image to know him and to reflect him. We were created to dwell with him. In the garden, we see that Adam and Eve walking with him without shame. They were naked and unashamed. There was nothing between them. That wasn't even a thought of a a division. They were dwelling with God. Paul will say in this very chapter that we are God's temple. His dwelling place is now in us and with us. Our sin is what brought the shame and brought the division. At that time, what we were originally created for, there was no oppression, no burden, no pain, no hurt, no abuse, no defeat, no depression we were to dwell with God. Three, we were created to love and be loved, to know the love of God perfectly and intimately as his children and to express that love to one another. That's what we were made for. That's why Paul praised this for the Ephesian church, reminding them what they were made for in chapter 3 verse 17, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith that you would be rooted and grounded in love and have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God and to know it which surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the fullness of God. He just pours out his heart cry passion for the church that they would know this love It's what they were made for. So we were created imago day. In his image, to know him, to reflect him, to walk with him, to dwell with him without shame, without division, to love and to be loved. And we were for, created with and for purpose. The Lord took man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. Genesis 2, prior to sin entering the world. God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over all things in all the earth. We were created with purpose and for work. And and just in case you're unsure, if it feels like it feels like your work is a result of sin and the fall, that Monday mornings are evil. Let's be reminded that we were created for work and for good work to steward the earth, to have dominion, for our good and the good of all, to be fruitful and multiply in all things. That's God's way, that we would grow, that we would bear fruit, and that we would multiply. And that language runs all the way through Scripture. That's why we've captured that visionary language as a church to be like a green house because we are meant to grow, not stay the same. We are meant to multiply and flourish and produce fruit. From the beginning, we see that it's true. All of our original design, God's intention, His purpose for us. And so it doesn't take a PhD, to figure out that everything has gone horribly wrong. At every facet and to every degree, there is now brokenness. We are in disorder and division from that original design, from the original garden state. We look from family to individual, community to nation. We see strife, brokenness, abuse, murder, war, death, Lives are filled with sorrow, emptiness, hopelessness, anxiety, fear, futility. Do I need to build that case? We look around and agree. Paul says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death, death through sin, death now spread to all men because all have sinned. We've both received that from our earthly father, just like we had no choice, You had no choice who your earthly father was and you received much from him. Probably both good and evil. Through Adam it is the same. We have received from him in us. And we say, well, that's not fair. But every one of us has walked in his footsteps, so to speak. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We have all done the very same as if we would have been any different in that garden state. Adam and Eve gave over their dominion given to them through the authority of god they gave that dominion over to satan they gave him rule a transaction took place at that fateful tree they traded all that they were given for a piece of fruit they got swindled hoodwinked tricked duped they gave their dominion all that was theirs to be their inheritance they gave it over to satan And ultimately, it was more than a piece of fruit. It was what the fruit represented. The more that they longed for. That God could not fully be trusted as good and giving them everything they needed, that they actually needed to take it into their own hands and see for themselves that it was good. A transaction took place and the enemy took rule. He was given that. They may as well have signed the contract and seen it sealed. And so since that point, Satan has been the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Paul says, Ephesians 2, the prince of this world, the ruler of the earth, as Jesus said. He has that, he holds that authority given over to him willingly by Adam and Eve. That transaction is vital to understand because there would need to be another transaction only one could buy that back, could reverse that transaction. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is Ephesians 2 1, in which you walked following the course of the world. So you willingly followed and walked in it, but you also followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. So there's a spiritual component. The enemy is still at work. If you've ever, you, should, uh, you, you must have experienced this. Just as Paul said in Romans 7, the good that I want to keep on doing, I do not do. The evil that I don't want to do, I do. You ever been in that place where you feel stuck or trapped? Going back to the same destructive habits that you want ultimately nothing to do with that leave you empty and hurting and hurt others? That distance you from people and community? And you say, why, why is this so hard? There's a spiritual component there is at play because there is a ruler of this world who has influence because we have given him that influence. He has that dominion. But Paul proclaims and reminds us of the hope, reminds us because we need that. We ask that question, right? Is there any hope? Can we reverse the curse? Can we mitigate or manage sin and evil? Is there some form of magic formula or prayer or penance or religious behavior or sacrifice that we can do to reverse that transaction? To get back to the garden, to live in peace and purpose and wholeness and hope and joy. Our world is crying out for it in both word and deed. And none of us are exempt and perhaps even this is your Reality heart cry as you come in this morning or as you walked through this last week. See if these sound familiar. Is this really all there is? Is this really all that life is about? You're asking about the why. There must be more. I must have been made for more than this. And Paul proclaims this reminder of this hope. The hope in freedom. The hope in restoration. That not just one day we return. We have the picture in Revelation of the garden. The river flowing through it. It's like a city garden planted with the tree of life all along its banks. That we are invited back and renewed in life fully. So we have that future hope. But Jesus came that we might have restoration, reconciliation, redemption, and renewal In this life, today, spiritually, while the world and the physical world continues to decay and unravel and break, and we see it in our own flesh, spiritually, we are meant to live free, whole, redeemed, in the garden state. All that has been stolen by the enemy, broken by him, has been bought back by Christ and given to his people. And this is what Paul is reminding, proclaiming, that we would hear it, that we would know it, and it is not found in any religious system or behavior modification. It is found in a person. His name is Jesus. God himself, knowing and being known, You were by nature children of wrath under the condemnation of a holy God because you rejected Him. Every one of us. Paul says that. We all live that way. Every one of us turn to our own way. There is consequence to disobeying a father. Let me tell you. But God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which He's loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I read that because I want you to hear it again in verses 12-14. through He essentially says the same thing as if we needed to hear it again. Remember, remember, you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of the promise. You were outside looking in with no way to get in. No hope without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for He Himself is our peace. There may not be any more incredible words in this whole letter, this succinct gospel, but God... And then here again, but now, Paul shows us our current state, he shows us our heart, he shows us the very longing and questions that every one of us has had, that leads us if we end there into a place of hopelessness, purposelessness, despair, anxiety, fear, and he says, but no. No. But the story's not over. But God. But now in Christ. We were lost. We were dead. Our position and purpose. Our intimacy and communion with God. Were stolen and broken. But God is not done. And his heart has never changed. His timing often baffles us. This eternal God. Who a thousand years is like a day to and one single day could be like a thousand years depending on which side of that scale you land on we could be here for a while i means we often focus on the, the, the at least I, I do with the lord a, a day a thousand years is like a day which means he, he is so big isn't it but if a day could be like a thousand years for god How present can he be in your reality, in your moments? Nothing is beyond him. He doesn't get distracted or confused. He's not aloof. He has not gone anywhere. He is present and he is active. He has not changed. Isaiah 54 verse 10, God says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 7, In Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Jesus said in Luke nineteen ten, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That phrase in the Greek could rightly be translated, He came to seek and save that which was lost thinking of the garden, all that was lost and stolen. Jesus came to seek and to save. And that word in the Greek, sozo, to save, we think of salvation. I have been saved. I've been rescued, delivered. We often think of it just as a future. One day I'll be delivered from the fires of hell into heaven. That's what Jesus did. He came to save. Yes, true. But that word is much more holistic. He came to redeem to save, to restore, to renew, to bring a holistic healing, to bring life back where death was in its place. He came to seek and to save all that which was lost, which Satan ultimately stole. He came to restore and redeem the Imago day, our original design, what we were made for. To restore our communion with God, that we might dwell with Him To eradicate shame and to give in its place victory and triumph. To restore unconditional love between us and God and one another. To restore purpose in all of our work. That we might have dominion. And that we might rule the earth. For the glory of God and the good of others. Life on purpose. Know your why. He came to destroy the curse of sin and death, to break the bondage of slavery and oppression to the devil and reverse to that transaction. First John three, eight, John says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, that's his way, that's his world, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God, the reason Jesus appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. He did this through his life and his death. Through his life, he destroyed Satan's authority. By living a life fully dependent on the Holy Spirit's power through him, he broke Satan's authority. And that's vital that we understand, that we see Jesus, the way that he lived on earth, dependent to the Holy Spirit, though he was God, Paul says he did not hold on to his divinity. He did not grasp on from his Godhead. He released control of that, that he might be born fully as a man, fully as a human, and live life that way to show us all our original design. We were originally designed for full communion with God, full empowering and filling of the Holy Spirit, full capacity to love and serve God all peoples, even to the point of our own death. It's the way he lived his life. And he also showed what it was to destroy the works of the enemy in the authority of God, to bind the enemy, to break his chains, to break his influence. In his death, Jesus had his own transaction He swindled the enemy. While Satan believed he had won again by killing God, in that death, Jesus, the perfect one, broke that original transaction. He bought us back. Because the penalty of that sin was under Satan's dominion, was ultimate death. Jesus went willingly, not under that penalty, but on behalf of all and broke those bonds that we might be free. Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He said, it has been done. Signed, sealed, delivered. He went to the grave, stayed there for a few days to prove that he was dead, and then triumphed over the grave. Triumphed over death that we might have hope in life. That transaction has been reversed. Second Corinthians five eighteen and following, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. We now, because of Jesus, because he said, all authority has been given to me. Paul said it in Ephesians 1. He has been raised and seated at the right hand of God. All things are put under his feet. He has supreme authority. And when Jesus said that to his disciples, all authority has been given to me. And now I am sending you. Just as God sent me, I am sending you to destroy the works of the enemy, to advance the kingdom of God. We have his authority in us. So what must we do if we are to do anything at all? To experience this restoration, this recovery, this reconciliation, our redemption. We've got four more R's for you. R's are just great words in our theology and doctrine and probably just approachable for us. We must repent, rebuke, replace, receive. If you're not a note taker, I encourage you to take notes for... Four words. I'm borrowing these from Mike Riches in his book Living Free. He's a local pastor. I think he articulates them well. They're approachable and memorable, but they're ultimately biblical. Repent. Maybe we maybe we think we get this concept. Repentance is such a gift. It's not condemnation. Repentance is literally the ability to see that we were going the wrong direction and to turn around. Has anyone ever been lost before? In today's age maybe not. But you can just blame blame Google or blame Siri now, but to know that you are wrong and you, I thought we were on the right path. Now you're telling me I need to take a U-turn? It can be frustrating, it can be humbling. But the ability to take an easy U-turn and go the right direction, that's simply repentance. And if it's if Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that's the whole course of our life is one of repentance. Because if we are going to continue to grow, to know him more and more, we're going to continue to see ways that we we're going the wrong way. Sometimes it's not a complete U-turn, sometimes it's a shift. But it's turning from that wrong direction. It requires recognition though, doesn't it? Maybe some humility. To say, that, that's, not, that's not right. I'm convicted. The ability to turn is repentance. Praise God for that gift. To not continue down that path. To endless and complete lostness. So it takes that recognition, just as Paul said in Romans, there is no one righteous, no one that seeks God. All have fallen short of the glory of God. That's every one of us. So you say, yes, that's me too. We, as I mentioned, Romans 7, we resonate even with Paul, the apostle and the leader of the church, empowered by God. He says, I keep on doing the things I don't want to do. He himself lived a life of repentance, of glorious repentance to turn and to pursue God wholly. And we are invited to do the same. It takes that recognition that we've done the same as Adam and Eve in the garden. We too have doubted God's promises. We've questioned his goodness. We've taken matters into our own hands. So we recognize and we confess that. That's turning. That's repentance. John says in 1 John 1, 9, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A transaction takes place. It is done in the moment. There's no penance process to prove you were worthy of that transaction. It is done. You receive it as a gift. Number two, we rebuke the enemy. I think maybe in in Western culture we might fail here of any of those four R's. We might fail here uh, as much as any. To engage the enemy maybe seems fearful or unknown. But we need to look at Jesus, be reminded of what happened in the garden when that first transaction took place. See Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4 is one place where he was led out to confront Satan. Satan tempted him for 40 days, ultimately trying to gain his allegiance too, to do the same thing he's always done to speak lies, to twist God's word, to play to Jesus' humanity. And ultimately have him bend the knee to rule, to his rule and authority. And Jesus said, no. Jesus continued to reply by proclaiming the truth. He battled, he resisted the enemy. And ultimately, as he rebuked the devil for his lies, the devil fled. James, when he writes James chapter 4, resist the enemy and he will flee from you as a command. He does not say, ignore the enemy and he will flee. He says, resist We are given authority, Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, of the armor that we have for the battle at play, the spiritual battle. All of these things show us that we must resist the enemy, rebuke him as Jesus did with the truth of God's word. We have been given authority over him because of Jesus' great authority. We are merely ambassadors. It's not our own authority. We are ambassadors of that king being sent with his seal Satan, you have no influence here. You are bound because of Jesus. Your chains are already broken. You must flee according to his word and his promise. We rebuke the enemy. The enemy has influence to lie, to speak lies, to bind us, to create strongholds in our life that are make us stuck. We have authority over all that we must rebuke the enemy. And I think we fail so often in our Western world is because we don't see the world as as spiritual. We're blind to that. We're so material and so physical. All that seems like magic or hocus pocus or, or spirits. There is a spiritual world. Almost every culture in the history of the world except for our recent Western culture fully embraces and understands the spiritual realms And perhaps why the church is exploding in other cultures of this world. Because they see it. They are not blinded. We must not be blinded. We must see. It's not something to be fearful of. It's not something to be flippant of. But we have been given authority in Jesus. And if we, after repenting of our own sins, do not rebuke the enemy, resist him that he would flee, we are missing a vital step. Because his influence is still active. Now in all of this you might be saying, I, I, I just don't buy this. There's, I don't feel any influence from Satan or demons or I know they're not around every bush. I'm just not playing that game. You can't tell me. I feel none. I feel none of that. Do any of these lies sound familiar in your head? Where is God in your life? You're praying, where is he? He's not showing up. He's not paying attention. He's withdrawn his presence and withdrawn his blessing in your life. If he hadn't, things would be different. You are not lovable. What you have done ultimately cannot be forgiven. You think it can, it can't. You are not good enough. You're not powerful enough. You are alone. You are the only one You've been been singled out. You've been punished. You're the only one that is facing what you're facing now. No one else has experienced that. Does any of that sound familiar? They're the same lies from the garden. The same lies that Satan has always been speaking. That's his influence. I'm not saying you're turning a dark corner at night or looking behind you in your car and feeling a presence or the temperature go down. I've been in those situations, and they are terrifying. I'm saying the influence of lies into our heads. We rebuke the enemy. We bind his power in the authority of Jesus. Flee. And if that's you, I pray that blessing over you. I pray with you for the enemy to have no place. I think sometimes we only pray, Lord, hedge us and protect us, and we cower instead of the power we've been given and the authority of Jesus as his ambassadors, enemy, Satan, devil, minions, whatever presence or influence you have, you must flee in the name of Jesus King. Be gone and do not return. Next step, we replace. So if, that, if there's a freedom, if there's a breaking of chains, if there's an emptying, as the enemy moves, as our sin has been forgiven, we replace, repent, Rebuke, replace with the promises of God. Paul says in Romans 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How are we transformed? Through the renewal of our mind. How do we renew our mind? We replace the lies. Any of those I spoke or anything like that, we replace that and rebuke that with the truth of God's word. And we meditate on on those words. Just consider the ones we've already seen this morning. God is rich in mercy and grace. He's lavished upon us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We were dead. He has made us alive. We were separated. He has adopted us. He has thought of you, loved you, and created you. You are His poema. Replace the lies with the truth of God's word. And then number four, receive Receive that it's done. The transaction has been finished. I receive that, Lord. I receive your forgiveness by grace alone. Now that I may walk in it. We may have to do this multiple times a day and every day. It will become more habitual as we walk this process of recognizing sin, repenting of it, rebuking the enemy for influence in his presence, his lies in our life. Replacing with his truth and receiving what has been done. Here's another R. Let's respond to that truth. I'll invite the team to come and lead us. We like to create space that we would hear God's word and we say, Lord, take it from here to here, to my heart. That when I walk out these doors, I'm living in that transaction that has taken place. Something has changed. I don't want to stay the same. God loves us so much, He meets us right where we are, but He loves us too much to leave us there so that we would grow, that with whatever our plans were today, we enter into them with a different perspective, hopefully God's perspective. We know our why. The what maybe doesn't change at all, but The why may change our how, our hope, our joy, our peace. So we sing, sing prayers. If you're not a singer, try it. If you just can't, sing it from your heart. But we say these prayers together. This is a corporate response. We come to the table. I hope you get to be at many tables today, celebrating with dads or with kids, just enjoying good things. Uh, this one actually is the most vital table that we gather around because it reminds us of what has been done in Christ. So come when you are ready. There's elements there in the back. Let that be part of the response. If you need specific prayer for anything, maybe it wasn't even something I said today, and you just need prayer, you're feeling alone or hurting or you want to intercede on behalf of someone else, I would love to pray with you. Uh, pastor craig is there and darlene i'm sure they would love to come and pray with you so if you just want to come and sit here someone will come and pray with you if that feels weird then wait till the service ends and come find one of us we linger around and we would just love to pray for you and if you know you need to do some of those ours like i know i've done some of it i don't know if i've ever done that rebuking piece or uh, the receiving piece or uh, i just love prayer and help and don't do this alone we're not alone that's a lie of the enemy We're God's poema. And as much as that's individuals, Paul was speaking to the church collective Anytime it gathered. You are God's poema. Receive that and live in accordance with it. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done and are doing. We pray that we would go from here transformed by you, by the transactions that have taken place. We receive your forgiveness, Lord, by grace alone. Thank you. Thank you. Renew us. Restore us. Give us back what has been lost and stolen that we might live with hope, with joy, with peace, and with purpose because we know our why, because you have said what our why is. We thank you, Jesus, in your holy name we pray. Amen.